Good morning again. We're picking up where we left off in our series, Relation Slips. Uh, all of us, no matter where we're at uh, spiritually, no matter if we're a convinced follower of Christ, not so convinced or not convinced at all, uh, all of us are either experiencing relation slips or we, in a sense, offer them to other people. We give them out. It's, it's a two-way street in this. And so this, uh, how to get our minds around, how to navigate relationships is very, very important. Uh, this morning we'll be talking about marriage, and as Cindy's already mentioned, as we've talked about it a little bit, uh, this is a PG-13 message, and all that just means is that we uh, expect that this might generate some conversations, uh, and as per parents, parental guidance is suggested. You've heard me say this before, but I, I consider a sermon like this or a part like this a really a gift to people that have kids at home, because this gives you an opportunity to talk about some things that they should hear from mom and dad first. Uh, they shouldn't be hearing about these things just at school or in their community, wherever they are. Uh, they should be getting uh, their facts from their folks. So please take advantage of this. You know what's age appropriate or you're learning what's age appropriate. And in our day in society, it seems like we continually are shocked by how young kids know about some of this. And they don't know uh, all of it, obviously, but they know enough of it to be confused about it. So why not take the confusion out of it? Why not take the awkwardness out of it and start talking about it um, at the right times? So, you know, I've shared this just a little bit before, but uh, it was probably around eight or nine years old when our girls came to us. We have twin daughters and then one that's 18 months behind them. And so the three of them came to us and, and started to kind of hem and haw. And basically what they were trying to figure out was, were we aware that some mom and dads don't stay together? And they kind of had been talking about this on their own, and they were curious what was going to happen with their mom and dad. And so we tried to, you know, awkwardly a little bit, but, you know, say, you know, that, that happens in our world, and to our best ability, you know, mom and I love each other, and we're going to try to do things that uh, we will stay together. Uh, you know, that, that, that's our goal, that's our intent, uh, you know, we, we promise to do our best to, say that, to do that, and we expect to do that. Uh, but the reality is, is there are no silver bullets out there. There are no magical formulas. It does happen. Uh, yet, as we think about those beginning days, when we think about getting married, and we think about all that goes along with that, uh, all of us, when we start off, have just a grand idea of what it's going to be like. It's going to be fantastic. It's, it's really going to be perfect. Uh, sometimes we, in early love, think that there's no other couples out there that have experienced the love that we've experienced. Nobody knows what it's like but me and her or whatever. And so, you know, that's the way usually of us start out. But then as time goes on, we discover that uh, there are these moments where uh, there's relationships. And you're never going to totally eradicate those from your life. At least I can't eradicate them from my lives. I'm famous for doing them every once in a while uh, towards Cindy. But the idea here as we look through this is trying to minimize them, trying to lessen our exposure so there's less relation slips. And when they happen or when they're on the horizon, that you and I, instead of just ignoring them and putting them to side, we actually engage with them and start trying to, to work them through, trying to avoid them and then fix the ones or clarify the ones that we're, we're a part of. 
there's one couple I've introduced you to before, uh, Cheryl and Jeff, and they have a great story as they started to navigate through this. It doesn't start, it starts off great. They have all the dreams of a, a perfect life. And let me just uh, start to introduce you to them. I was in college, put myself through school, and I was a waitress. And Jeff came into the place that I was working one day, and he walked in, and I looked over, and I saw this man that was just unbelievably handsome. The first time I walked in, I thought, wow, she, she could be the one. And I thought, who in the heck is that? She was beautiful. She was everything I had ever dreamed about in a wife, and actually asked her out for a date. We were in love with each other. Uh, I couldn't sleep well. <laughs> um, I had butterflies all the time, and he seemed to have the same. Probably nine months after we started dating, Cheryl had to go off to Dayton, Ohio for some training. When I came back, uh, Jeff uh, picked me up from the airport, whisked me off to uh, one of our favorite restaurants. The waitress came uh, back to our table. And pulls up the top of the platter and there's a box. It had a big bow on it. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's gonna ask me to marry him. And she said yes. We were whisked off to wonderful Southern California for our life together. And it was all about just, you know, how much money can we make? We bought a house with a beautiful ocean view. We had all the things of the world. We could spend money, go shopping, buy the right clothes. I thought our marriage was going great. I thought we had the perfect life. Isn't that wonderful? They start off and they think they had the perfect life. You may even remember those days where you thought you had the perfect life. Maybe you didn't have the oceanfront home and all the money, but you were there. We are having a perfect life. Um, these two thought that too a number of years ago. It's coming up on 32 years this summer, and uh, that's uh, the way we were. This was uh, Cindy's uh, bridal shower, and they made me sit there. And uh, it was very embarrassing, especially when the 90s came out. But anyway, that's for another story. But uh, there we are, and then, you know, it just happens quick, and then all of a sudden there's, uh, you know, eight years later, ten years later, there's kids, and again, you think that life is great. You think that everything is going to go wonderful. Uh, you think this verse from Ecclesiastes, if you've ever read it, 9-9, is, is about you and your new life together. Enjoy life with the spouse you love. Cherish every moment of the fleeting life God, which God has given you under the sun. In other words, make the most of your time, for this is your lot in life, your great reward for all your hard work under the sun. I mean, let's be honest too, those of us who have been married, we all start out with those thoughts. And there were thoughts, you know, I know it's not going to be perfect, like no problems, but, but it, it's, it's sweet and good and you just never know how it's going to unfold. And um, then you get to the place where your kids are grown up. This is from us on vacation. You might have seen this on Facebook. And uh, we are definitely enjoying and cherishing life. Now, that's not to say that Cindy and I have a perfect relationship. You know Cindy, she's perfect. I'm not so perfect. But, uh, you know, as we live our life, uh, we've tried to do certain things, not always successfully, that limit our exposure to relation slips. And again, that's not because we have any corner or anything. We're learning as we go along. Now we've got a son-in-law, so we're trying to figure out what that means. What do you say? What don't you say? When he does something that bugs you, do you say anything? you keep your mouth shut? I don't know. Not that 
that ours has done anything buggy. Joe, if you're listening, no, perfect. But anyway, but if that happens, so you know, you start to you start to figure this out. But again, you think that you, your goal is to enjoy and cherish every moment you have. You know, life is hard and things happen, and you you go down that that road. But uh, then all of a sudden, there's bumps in the road, and how do you navigate that? And uh, Cheryl and Jeff uh, have some some tough bumps along the way. My thought of a perfect marriage was one of romance, great communication, having a great home. I was doing my best to be the perfect wife to him and be, actually I was being fake. What started to happen to me was there was a, what I would call a numbness that started to happen. I didn't understand it. I started um, getting angry inside. As I was feeling emptier and emptier and emptier, uh, I started putting more time into my job. The men at work were paying a lot of attention to me, and I enjoyed it. One year, um, I went to our national sales meeting. I started talking to a man that I had known for a long time. And he started talking about his marriage and how uh, he wasn't happy. And I thought, oh my gosh, um, that sounds like me. This man flew into California, into Los Angeles, um, to meet with me one day. And um, I'm embarrassed to say this, but um, we met at a hotel and that's when the relationship became physical and when I succumbed to a full-blown uh, adulterous affair. So the perfect life starts off and subtly and surely all of a sudden uh, their relationship is, is on the rocks. And so there's a huge, what we would say is a huge relation slip. But the reality is those slips start in subtle ways. Something was going on. She felt more attention at work than she did at home. Something was going on. And so as you and I talk about this, we're trying to figure out how to avoid those kinds of situations. This at some point is going to seem like this is a message about physical intimacy, and that sure is a part of it. But really, that is almost more of a symptom. There's something else going on deeper at a heart level. And so as we try to identify this and walk through this, and the reality is one conversation on a Sunday morning about this doesn't uh, solve all our problems, doesn't give us a magic answer, but at least opens our eyes to a, a direction to travel in. And uh, some of this, uh, there may be some aha moments, there may be some uncomfortable moments, and on one hand, I apologize about that. Uh, nothing we're going to talk about this morning is to make anyone feel bad or feel judged or whatever those things are. But the things we're going to talk about, I think, are important things. And no matter what stage and age we're in life, whether uh, we're looking to get married someday, whether we've been married, uh, whether we've uh, on, a, on our second marriage, uh, or whatever that may be, um, we, we, need to, we need to look at these things. And even if we've been married and we're not married now, uh, maybe we'll pick up some things that will help us in a future relationship or will actually help us as we try to guide the people in our lives and we want them to experience the best uh, marriage they can, they can experience. Let me just see if I'm in trouble. Oh, 
Anyway. All right, so uh, let's uh, move into Hebrews. Hebrews says this about marriage. Honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between a wife and a husband. God draws a firm line against casual and illicit sex. So when we first look at this, we need to realize who the writer of Hebrews was writing to. Um, he's writing to Christ followers who have a Jewish background. Um, he's t- are you trying to change mics over? Okay, just in case. Or do I... It seems to be working all right now, so... No, it isn't. Take it off, all right. We're experiencing some technical difficulties. Okay, here we go. And if I drop my mic, you give me signals from the sound booth, okay? So, you know, we've got this verse, and this verse is to Hebrew, to, to Christ followers that have a Jewish background. And they were, they were experiencing a lot of difficult times. And let's be honest, when, when life is stressful, uh, we can find that when it comes to our marriages and our relationships, uh, all of a sudden things that wouldn't register or things or we're looking for distractions or it's hard, it just gets easier to fall into those kinds of things. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing these things. He's saying, honor marriage, value marriage, uh, guard it. And he's not just saying this to people that are married. He's saying this to all of us. There's something uh, sacred about marriage. And a part of that is intimacy between a husband and wife. And then it goes on and says this idea of God draws a fine line against casual and illicit sex. And what, what he's saying is this is meant to be something that brings a couple together that they just share with another person in God's preferred will. So when that happens, this is, this is a beautiful thing that, uh, that uh, making it casual takes something away from God's intended purpose for it. It is to be a shared experience of two hearts, and we're going to see this really becoming one. Now, in our society, and I don't like to beat up on our society, uh, they, they, our society really doesn't draw a fine line against this. Uh, in a sense, uh, it's almost like the more experiences you have, the better prepared you will be for the time you find that person. But I love this uh, quote from Andy Stanley. This is what he says. He says, intimacy is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. And if we were to watch our TV programs, or we were to watch all these kinds of things, if you were just hanging around people, that, that really doesn't seem to be the case. We need to understand that it's the idea of this exclusivity, this 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 experience, this one of heart that's expressed in physical intimacy is between you and one person. And when that can happen, and when that happens, it is a beautiful thing. But as we all know, we live in a broken world. Uh, there's two people in every relationship, sometimes more people in a relationship, and, and it doesn't go all the way with this. But sometimes because this is the ideal, this is God's preferred will, we don't want to make people feel bad, so we kind of pull back from it. But uh, I, I think this is something that we really should remember and keep in our mind when it comes to honoring marriage. Now, there's two words that ta- talk about misusing intimacy when it comes to our physical intimacy. And, and the first one here is adultery. And adultery is when a married man or a woman has intimate relations with a person other than their spouse. 
And that's, that's pretty clear what that definition is. And it's, it's something that, that we, we, we want to stay away from. We never even want to get close to that place. And also mixed in there, and it's, it's a little bit of a gray area, or I can't draw a distinct line, I can't always say what's right and wrong for another person, when it comes to emotional connections. You see, there's also sometimes you've heard about, like, they, they didn't have a, a physical affair, they had an emotional affair. And where that line is, 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 is just a little different. Uh, but I've got some guidelines that are not in your notes. I'll, I'll post them on our Facebook page later on today. Uh, just some things to think about that, that tell you if you're getting close to that idea of an uh, emotional affair. And we need to stay away from an emotional affair as much as a physical affair. Uh, it, 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 it affects our heart and our soul and just our connection with someone else. And when I was growing up, you know, I grew up in church, and I knew what was, a, what was to be a good boy, a good, good young man, and those kinds of things, and I tried to stay away from that kind of thing. But the thing that was never explained to me when I was dating in high school was that if I was like the picture-perfect boyfriend with no intention of marrying this person, that I, in a sense, was giving a little bit of my heart away, and I was taking a little bit of their heart away. And I've shared this in different settings. You know, when I think of uh, uh, some of the girls I dated in high school, this is going to sound maybe egotistical, I was a really good boyfriend. I knew how to make girls feel special. And because I did that, I took a little bit of their heart that really wasn't mine to take. I I wish someone had said that to me. I wish someone had just gotten in my face. I probably wouldn't have listened to them. But I wish wish someone had gotten and said, "You, you know, if you're intending to, to get married in the next few years, yeah, you know, you know, be that kind of a guy. But if you're just trying to get to know and trying to navigate you know, what you're interested in, in a life partner for, slow down. There's some things that, yeah, are appropriate, but you are actually taking that other person's heart a little bit. And now, like I said earlier, that is, this is confession time, I feel a little guilty about some of the ways that some of my girlfriends, I, I, I took their hearts, and I, and I shouldn't have done that. And so it's interesting, when our girls were growing up, I, I warned them that there were bad, nice boys like me that if they were not careful would, would, try, would, would be such good boyfriends that they'd take a little bit of their heart, and if they weren't ready to get married, uh, they, they, sh- they, should, they should stay away from that. And for the most part, they did. And again, this is a gray area. I can't, I'm, I'm just giving you some ideas when you think about this. So back to this idea of an emotional affair, and this really is, um, you know, for those of us who are married, uh, but even those of us who aren't married, we need to be thinking that these things are going on. Uh, The first idea here is that frequent contact when you're not together. Uh, That's the idea of email and text. There's a a connection with some of the opposite sex, and and you're you're just having lots of contact. Obviously, when you're married, sometimes you're in a working relationship, and you just need to be very careful of that because you do not want to take those steps where you're connecting with that person uh, at a deep emotional level. Another situation is when he or she becomes the first person you want to call with any news. If you're married to somebody and you have something fantastic that's happened, the first person you should want to talk with is your partner in life, is your spouse. And if the first person you come to mind thinking about talking with is someone else, you have to ask yourself, am I getting just a little too connected with this person? 
I'm also the person takes over your thoughts. You're thinking about them a lot. You're thinking about them when you're home, when you get up in the morning, at nighttime, uh, when you're driving around. You're just, you're just, they're just on your mind. If that's happening, you're having an emotional connection. If you're married, this, this is a warning sign. Not the absolute, it's happening, but, but it's something you need to take stock of. And again, we can play lots of games. If we're going to honor marriage, we need to be thinking through these things because normally this all starts at an emotional level. There's an emotional affair that leads to the physical affair. That's what Cheryl said about her life. Um, also, there's this idea you believe the person really gets you. That was danger, danger, danger. When she started to share her heart, and she realized that this, uh, this guy, this co-worker, really understood her. And she started to ask why her husband didn't understand her. When she got to that place and she started to really think about that, it, it should have at least said, there needs to be a reset. Something's going awry in my marriage. I, I, need to, I need to have a reset here. Because the person that really should get me is my spouse. They should know me inside and out. It may mean that I'm not communicating enough. It may mean that they don't know. If you hear the rest of the story, you'll see that, that uh, Jeff thought things were fine. He was oblivious to it. Now, he should have been more engaged, more aware of that. I'm not looking for blame here. I'm looking to understand how we avoid or lessen our vulnerability to these kinds of situations. And Cheryl, when, when she started to go, why, and I'm just going through the motions, I'm faking this marriage, that should have said, oh, I'm faking, faking, faking. This means something's wrong. It's not supposed to be like this. That's why God wants us to honor marriage, because he created it for us to, 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 for just to be a wonderful experience, and, and he wants that for each one of us, uh, you know, when we're in that marriage relationship. Um, also, there's this idea that uh, you discuss very personal topics, such as problems in your current relationship. Uh, you frequently compare your spouse to him or her. Uh, you get to a place where you're going, oh, I wish, you know, my wife was like this, or I wish my husband was like this, you know, Bob or Sue, there, you know, um, back and forth, you know, and you, 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 you got to go, man, this is, a, this, is a, this is a warning. This means something's up. I, I, need, to, I need to think about this a little bit. Um, also, you spend lots of time together, and you make excuses, working on extra projects. Uh, when, when there's a project at work or when there's something to do, uh, you, you start to find yourself hoping you're going to work with that other person. And if you can create it so that it happens, you're kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes to make it happen like that. You need to say, wow, am I starting to have an unhealthy emotional connection to this person that is not my spouse? You start to lie or to keep secrets. Uh, you'd never, uh, in a sense, want your spouse to read your text messages or to hear what you're talking about, uh, you know, because they're just a little bit too, too tight. You realize that you started to go into that, that danger zone. There's also the idea that uh, your spouse gets less of you while your special person gets more of you. You seem to be more engaged, more uh, aware and everything when you're around that other person. Uh, you give them, in a sense, your best. 
Uh, you might uh, be getting dressed for work in the morning, and you hope that, wow, this other person notices me. You, they might say something, hey, I like that shirt, or whatever, and then all of a sudden you find yourself wearing that shirt more often because you know they like it. Uh, they're starting to get more of you. And again, this is not to make any of us feel bad. This is to make us, uh, you know, avoid this situation, to step back, to get help. Again, someone may be going, wow, I'm already there, or I was there. And again, this isn't to make you, this is to, to help. This is to lessen our relationships rather than increase them. Then there's this other word, you, sometimes you have adultery, then you have this other word that's uh, listed in the Bible here and there. Uh, you know, it's when a single person has uh, sexual intimate relationships or relations with a person, it's called fornication. So if you ever read that, if you're reading Old King James, you'll, you'll see that word. And again, this is an idea of uh, getting involved in something that's supposed to be um, set aside for that special marriage relationship. And uh, when it comes to the emotional connection, you've got to be very careful. I told that story earlier that um, I allowed myself to be, in a sense, too nice of a boyfriend too early. I, I should have held back. I should have waited on some of those things. So, so why, is this, why is this a big deal? Uh, a lot of times in society, this says this is a great way to kind of navigate your romantic relations, how to figure everything out. So, so why in the world is this a big deal? Uh, why should we want to stay away from this? Again, I, I like what uh, Andy Stanley says in his book, Irresistible. It's actually about church, not about relationships, but he, he has this uh, chapter on this, and he says this, serial sexual experiences aren't good for anybody. Doing anything that might diminish someone's potential for intimacy with a future spouse is not good for them or their future spouse. Intimacy is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. Sex before marriage robs the other person of their potential for exclusivity. It robs your future partner of the comfort that comes in knowing you are exclusively theirs sexually. Not only are you undermining the future of that person you have sex with along with their future spouse, you are undermining the joy and security of your own future spouse. Nobody wins. It's a lose, lose, lose. It's not best for anybody. Goes on to say, it's sin. It's sin because it harms people made in the image of God for whom Christ died. Besides, what do people have to show for their sexual misadventures? Nothing. What do they gain? Nothing. What have they taken from the other person? Perhaps a great deal. What have the lo they lost personally? The opportunity to honor a future spouse with a history of self-control for their sake. It's a terrible trade. Everybody involved loses. Now, I do a lot of premarital counseling. I've probably done 160 weddings. Some of that's because I'm so old now, but I've done probably 160 weddings. And every once in a while, uh, recently, I have... I pull this, this in a little bit more. I pull this out, and I send this to a couple that I'm doing premarital counseling with. And most of the time, most of the time, I've had couples say to me, I wish, I wish someone had communicated that as clearly as that those three paragraphs did to me. And they've actually been sad. I, I say, you know, I get very 
nervous, like reading that to someone or sharing it to someone because I don't want to be offensive. But I share it, and I, I'm, I'm always taken back by normally the response of a couple and, 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 and with, a, with some sadness in their heart. They, they, they really had never heard any of this explained that way, and, and, and they have some regret. And as we get through this, we're, we're going to see that they don't have to live in that place of regret. There is hope, but, you know, even parents, if, if you know, if I was, I, I've shared this first time I really saw it, I, sh- I sent it to all three of my girls as a text message, things they love to get from their dad, right? You know, just say, hey, want you to read this, want you to understand this. I, I, I totally am behind the ideas in these concepts, and I, and I hope you get that. Because, you, you know, when, when we ignore this um, brokenness, hurtfulness is is really just around the corner i was at home um, one evening reading the girls a bedtime story and the doorbell was ringing and it's the sheriff serving me with divorce papers you know i signed for the papers headed back up the stairs finished reading the bedtime story to the girls put them down and then just basically went crazy went downstairs i'm like what is this all about and i was cold I was cold to him. I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to go to counseling. I didn't want to make the marriage work. And so I divorced him on August 21st, 1992. So why is this such a big deal? You get burned. You get burned. Somewhere along the line, maybe not in the beginning, but somewhere along the line, you will find yourselves getting burned. We've all heard the little expression, you can't play with fire. Uh, Solomon writes this when he says, if you drop a whole hot coal in your lap, your clothes will be burned. If you step on one, your feet will be burned. If you sleep with another's spouse, touch him or her, and you will pay for it. You will pay for it. Uh, if you've ever been in these situations... Anger is off the charts. Uh, what seemed like fun, it's, it's just, it, there's just fire everywhere. No one gets out without having some burns. And for Cheryl and Jeff, this is exactly what happens. It, it, just, it just tears both of them up as it continues to unfold. About three months after our divorce happened, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was an unbelievable day, and it was probably, besides the day of my divorce, probably one of the saddest days of my life. And that's because I looked behind me, and I saw what I had left behind. I had made a huge mistake, and the huge mistake was that I didn't know Christ. A few months after that, um, I kept hearing this, it was a stirring that was going on in my heart to call Jeff, to repent to him for all the things I had done wrong, how I had hurt him, and also just a very small inkling of, I want you to try to reconcile your marriage. Cheryl wrote me a letter and she called me up and said, look, I've written you a letter. I want to come over to your house. I want to sit down in your living room and read it to you. I was very nervous, and 
he wasn't open to me, and I just asked him if I could come over for 10 minutes. And I said to her, look, if you want to come over and talk to me about the girls, that's great, but anything else, I don't want to, ha I don't want to have anything else to do with it. And I said, this isn't about the girls. And he said, no. And I said, just give me 10 minutes. I finally said, okay, you can come over, you can sit across the room in this one chair and read me the letter. I don't know what kind of response you're wanting from me, but I just want you to know that, you know, I still don't trust you. So you get beat up, you get burned, you get beat up. Um, adultery is a brainless act, a soul-destroying, self-destructive Expect a bloody nose, a black eye, and a reputation ruined for good. It's a lot at stake. It affects our soul. Uh, it uh, is destructive. It puts someone physically at rest. Something we don't talk too much about, but there's STDs out there. Had situations where this kind of unfolds, and then uh, the person that's been involved in all this has to go get all these tests. Uh, it's, it's very humiliating. It's, it's a necessary thing if the person's been all over the place. Uh, and it just, it's just is so, so hurtful. Yes, there can be healing on the other side. Uh, yes, heaven can come down and heal what earth can't. But uh, it's, it's not worth the process. It's something you want to avoid. On the other hand, when you and I take this serious, when we honor marriage and honor what it's supposed to be, we'll find that we get blessing. Uh, we'll find that uh, that Ecclesiastes 9.9 passage is us. Uh, we get to live it. We, we relish life with the spouse we love. Uh, even though life is short, each day is God's gift. Uh, when I was going through the uh, uh, photo albums to find some of those ones of Cindy and I earlier on, uh, it, 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 was, it, was, it, was a, it was a more pleasant experience than I thought it would be. It was like, where's these pictures? And, and I, I kind of got recaptivated by her all over again, just looking at how things were. You know, I was 22. She was 25. Don't tell her she's older. But I was 22, and uh, she raved, robbed the cradle. But uh, I, I just looked through those, looked through the kids, and, and just was really thankful. Again, it's not that I, I'm perfect or any of those kinds of things, but there were certain things that uh, God spoke into our lives that, that we were able to lessen the exposure. Does it mean everything's going to keep being nice and happy and all those kinds of things? I don't know. But, but for right now, limiting the exposure is what it's all about. And you get, you get blessed. Uh, I love this proverb that says, Find a good spouse and you find a good life. And even more, the favor of God. So behind the veil is this idea when you find a good spouse that it's actually the favor of God in a sense invading your life. Now some of us in the room are saying, man, I, I want that. I can't wait for that. I'm 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 just I'm just, you know, what do I do in the meanwhile? Uh, this is insensitive because you know I want to be married. I want I want health. I want health in my marriage and all those kinds of things. Um, you know, what I try, and it's not very emotionally satisfying, but I try to share this uh, little statement. As you wait for that, grow into the person you want wants. Sometimes I had conversations with guys and girls and said, this is what you're looking for. But the way you live your life 
is not the kind of life that that kind of guy or girl would want. So, you know, it just doesn't make sense. If, if you go, I had someone just recently say, oh, that, that person would be perfect for me. And, and I knew absolutely, and I, I took a deep breath, and I said, somebody close I'm close to, I said, you're not the kind of person that that person wants. So you're, you're, you're just dreaming. So you, in the intermediate, in this time, need to invest into growing into the person you want, wants. So what will it take? And I'm just going to whip through these really quickly. Um, uh, we've talked about this in part one. The idea of a dynamic, growing relationship with Jesus is core to this. I, I can't do this on my own. Uh, maybe you can, but I need a God in my life. I need to lean into him. I need to rely on him. I need to have a relationship with him so his spirit is shaping my heart. So I'm listening to him. It's just not Dave Spencer being disciplined and all organized and all of that. I actually need God, a part of me, guiding and directing my heart. And that takes a dynamic, growing relationship with Jesus. And you see that Jeff discovers this. I, I did a little more looking into Jeff's life. Uh, Jeff grew up in a church family, uh, growing, going to church, and he, and he would say he, he said yes to Christ when he was around eight or ten years old, and then just let it drift totally out of his life. And it isn't until after this circumstance happens that his eyes start to be open to what he's uh, backed out of, if you will. For those first three years following the divorce, I was so angry at Cheryl that I couldn't even look at her. I started pretty quickly after the divorce going to a Friday morning men's Bible study. And finally, about three years after the divorce, one night in my bed reading the Bible, uh, and I came across a passage in Proverbs. It was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it was just, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. And through that, God was just showing me, Jeff, you've been leaning on your own understanding for years. And for the first time, I want you to trust in me with all your heart. And that night, as I sat there in bed and just prayed and cried and wept, I think for the first time, I realized, you know, I need to give up, surrender my whole heart to the Lord. And that night, um, Jesus became first in my life. And that may be your only takeaway from this morning's time together, is that you need to make Jesus first in your life. That may be it. If you take that and make Jesus first in your life, then you'll start to be on the path of less relationships, especially when it comes to a relationship with, with you know, a spouse or a future spouse. It's interesting that it took Jeff years to get to that point. He, he was hurting for years. Some of us hold on and just hurt and hurt and hurt and don't give it over to the Lord. I don't know why we do that. All of us have those little areas. But a dynamic, growing relationship with Jesus is key. We read, since we want to become spiritually one with the Master... I've left off the rest of that verse for a second because I want you just to think about that because the next couple lines, you wouldn't tie with that necessarily. But if you really want to become spiritually one with God, with the Master, with Jesus, 
then it includes our physical life, our intimacy life. Paul goes on and writes, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. And so, again, if we want to be engaged in this growing relationship with God through Christ, and that's the mission statement of our church, to make a difference in people's lives so that they can have a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ and making a difference in their lives, it starts here. And so this has to be a part of that. The verse before that says this, there is much, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is much is, is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact as written in Scripture. The two become one. And most of us understand that. It's just not a physical act. That's why I can assault someone physically. I can, like, hit them with something, and there's a certain, certain uh, repercussions in the, um, in, the, in the law system, you know. Let's say, I, let's say I just get mad at somebody and pop them off, and there's a certain... certain um, Crime, certain punishment for that, but if someone is someone sexually assaults someone, it opens up a whole new area of uh, punishment, and and it's because it's different. It's not just physical. Something's different. Your soul, your heart. It, it's a mystery is involved in that. So again, that's why this is this is so important. So what so what will it take? What does it take? Um, just a couple things, and again, I'm just going to read through these. Uh, there's some uh, passages that go along in your message guide. You can go look them up on your own and, and follow through with that. Uh, the first thing is we need to oversee your heart, our hearts. We need to be aware of that. Um, you could add this verse there, right, Proverbs 4.23. Uh, just, just realizing that everything comes from our heart. We see that in Cheryl's story. It all started in her heart. We also have to oversee our, um, our eyes, what we're looking at, um, how we're looking. And it's not usually the first look, it's the second look, it's the gaze. Uh, you know, Job makes this uh, commitment that he is not going to uh, look lustfully at any young woman, any woman, and, and, he, and that's important to him. He knows that he's got to do that. So if you and I want to avoid this kind of direction and we want to be careful about it, we need to oversee our eyes. What are we looking at? What are we seeing? Uh, what are we looking away from? All those kinds of things. Uh, we need to oversee our feet. Uh, are we moving in directions that, that make us more vulnerable? A story in Proverbs about this young man that goes into the, is at the wrong place at the wrong time, but he takes himself there. It's his feet that get him there. Um, Cheryl and uh, her friend from work, they, they, they went to a hotel. That's what happens when you go to a hotel like that under their circumstances. We have to watch our feet. We have to be honest. There's a lot of uh, just things that happen, but there's a lot of things that we kind of uh, orchestrate ourselves. And obviously, we need to oversee our time. We need to uh, ask ourselves, where are we investing our time? Wherever you and I invest our time is where our heart is, where the treasure of our heart is. There's where your heart will be also, that idea about finances. But it's true in every area. What we treasure in our heart, what we lift up in our heart, uh, and express that with time, uh, really is, is where, our, where our heart is. Be happy with the wife you married when you were young. And when you put that investment in that, you find that your spouse uh, becomes your friend. Uh, 
becomes your best friend. I love this quote from Arlene Alda. It's easier to leave your spouse. It's real easy to leave your spouse. It's not easy to leave your best friend. It's not easy to leave your best friend. When I um, meet with couples that are thinking about getting married and we talk about all kinds of things, uh, one of the things we'll talk about is, is coming up with activities that they do together that bring them together, that they can do together. And I know there were some things that, uh, especially when we were living on the seacoast in Portland, Maine, that I wanted a sea kayak and I wanted to be out there and there's all these islands and uh, I could swing doing that if I really wanted to. But I said, you know, the kids are young. This is not the time in my life where I should be out on a kayak and leaving my home and my wife and three kids at home. That's for some other day. Uh, so, you, you know, those kinds of things. So you're fostering that, that best friend relationship. Now, with this, you realize that Cheryl talked about some of the secrets in our, in our heart. And really, there's this idea that goes along with this. Unfaithfulness is not just in the intimacy, but in the secrecy. What's happening in the heart? And, uh, you know, that's, that's where it starts. And having secrets from your spouse, having things you can't tell them, just starts to create all of this. Uh, again, I love what Andy Stanley says. He writes this. I always ask students, he's talking about high school students and college students, if you sleep with a variety of folks between now and graduation, and then you meet someone you think might be the one, you'll be tempted to lie about your sexual past. The answer is always yes. Then I say, think about that. If your sexual behavior with people you hope you'll never see again sets you up to lie to the person you hope to see every day, what does that imply about sex before marriage? Anything that makes us liars for life is a sin because lying dishonors the person to whom we lied. Just digest that for a little while. Uh, you know, you, you find yourself starting off this new relationship with the one that you want to be with, and you find that you can't really give full disclosure to your life. You have to, in a sense, start your relationship with a little bit of a lie, a little bit of a dishonesty. You see, the bottom line is this. It is more about who you lie to than who you lie with. Because it starts in that lie. Do you lie to yourself? Do you lie to God? Do you lie to others? Let's hear a little bit more from Jeff and Cheryl. I don't know what kind of response you're wanting from me, but I just want you to know that, you know, I still don't trust you. I was shaking. And... I looked at this man that I had hurt so badly and thought, how could I make up for what I've done? At the very end, I said, Jeff, you know, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I felt like, yeah, this was just convenient or just coincidental or that she, after I had been begging for her to fight for our marriage or begging for her to stay in the marriage, that. Uh, she accepted Christ three months after that. In fact, I didn't believe it. And so when I looked up, he had tears running down his face. And I asked him if he would ever consider reconciling our relationship. And because he was crying, I thought that was 
his sign to me or God's sign to me that Jeff was on the same page that I was. And Jeff laughed in my face. He said, I will never, ever consider doing that. Don't ever ask me that again. And what she didn't know at the time was, it really did hit me. And I would take this letter out two or three times a week at night, especially when I didn't have the girls, read this letter. And uh, it would really just, you know, I would just weep. What God put on my heart very lightly at first became such a strong force. And he said to me, Cheryl, I want you to walk with me in this, and I want you to pursue reconciliation of your marriage. My desire is that your family and your marriage be put back together. Sometimes I was on my knees <laughs> praying and crying out to God, I, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. It took time for me. What I call it is she had to make deposits in my trust account. Another couple years would go by, and I would think, it's four years. I can't do this. And it really didn't matter what I thought. And God was really showing me uh, week after week how she had changed, and she really was seeking Him with all that she had. And through that, I, there was evidence of a changed heart, and not only in Cheryl, but in myself. She started inviting me over for dinner to her house with the girls. And for a long time, I said, no, no, no. And then probably after about a year, I finally said yes one day. Then what started happening about six months into doing dinner together and being together as a family is he actually asked me out on a real date. <laughs> he actually said the words, um, I think it's time for us to get remarried. <laughs> and um, I was overwhelmed. We had been divorced for seven years, and now we're gonna be a husband and wife again, and a family again, and God just put it all back together. On October 3rd, we went to Beaver Creek, Colorado, and we were remarried in the chapel of Beaver Creek. I just closed my eyes, and I was like, Lord, <laughs> we've done something huge. I wake up every morning with Cheryl beside me in bed, and it's almost like I have to pinch myself. I can't believe that our family's back together. It's definitely a miracle. We've been remarried now for nine years, and <laughs> Christ is first in our lives. I'm second, and Jeff's second, and our family is second, and Jesus is first. We are Jeff and Cheryl Scruggs. And we are second. Unbelievable. Now that's not a guarantee for every marriage to recover like that. But it is the idea that it's possible. Th things can happen. We can move in a new direction. When I was thinking about this and reviewing this, after it had already gone to print, I really said a better bottom line would be this. There are second chances when we are second. And that, that, that's not a one and done decision. That's being second day after day after day. That's being second with our spouses. That's being second with the people that live around us. 
places we work, being second with our children, that there are second chances for all of us when we are second and Jesus is first. Cheryl and Jeff have a book out. I think we might have it in the library, but if, I, if you were interested in this, I would just break down and spend the 10 bucks and buy it. I do, again, how we found a second chance at our marriage, and you can too. And again, it may not be your marriage. It may be some other component in life. But that verse from Ephesians 3.20 can be applied to all of us. God can do anything you know far more than you ever could imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. Gently within us. And if you listen again to Cheryl and Jeff's story, it's gently within them. So I want you to end with that thought. There are second chances when we are second. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, a difficult subject uh, can bring up a lot of images, a lot of hurts, a lot of things that we've done incorrectly or have been done incorrectly to us or a combination of that, uh, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a, uh, that, that perfect person we thought we found or were hoping for, whatever it may be, uh, and just all the, the turmoil that goes around with that. And there are no silver bullets, but there are ways to lessen our exposure, lessen our vulnerability to those kind of relationships. And I ask that you would help us wherever we're at in our journey with you or whether we need to have a journey with you, that you would help us to take those steps. Help us to realize that there are actually more than second chances. There are millions of chances when you and I or when we uh, are second. And so we thank you that you're patient with us. We're thankful that you uh, have your spirit in our lives. We've said yes to you. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us to gently or help us to uh, respond to those gentle uh, nudges from you and not uh, just ignore them. I thank you for today, and I thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.